Welcome to People's Church Podcast. So what is it that sets you apart? You ever thought about that question? Without knowing it, you're probably answering that question in life. We're going to begin a series just simply called Christmas Chronicles based on some of the great characters and stories surrounding the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnation, a time when God came to us. And so we want to start off with what is the big thing in life that you need as a believer to set your life apart? And we see it within this Christmas story. We're going to take a look at three lives today to start this. If you get these kinds of things built into your life, you're going to enjoy God's blessing in a great fullness within your life. Whether you're up or down in circumstances or whether you're up against big storms or whether you are having a nice peaceful sail day, you will need these three things. In the Old Testament, just to start off to introduce the subject today, because I want to talk about wisdom, three wisdoms specifically that you're going to need. But to start off in the Old Testament, we're just going to refer to a story that you know, I maybe know, and that is the story of King Solomon. Solomon was given by God an open carte blanche opportunity for him to just select whatever he wanted as a blessing from God. He said, you get to choose, buddy. What is it that you want me to bless you with? That's a big carte blanche. And so Solomon did not choose fame. He didn't choose position even. He didn't choose money. He didn't choose any of the above category, which is normally the choices that are made from the human standpoint. He said, I want wisdom. He wanted wisdom. And so God said, because you have, because you have asked for wisdom and not for wealth or honor or position or all of this kind of thing, he's saying, I am not only going to give you wisdom, I will give you all of the rest. And so God blessed him with all of the things he didn't ask for because he asked for wisdom. What is it about wisdom? When we look at what is considered the wisest human man that ever lived, King Solomon, that's his reputation. What is it about wisdom that so set him apart in God's eyes so that he could bless him in all things? There's an interesting story that's told in the very same chapter it's found in 1 Kings chapter 3, but in the very first, same chapter in which he is confronted with this carte blanche choice. At the end of that chapter, he's immediately visited with, from two prostitutes that come in with a disagreement between them. And I'm going to just take time just to read a little bit of that story to introduce to you wisdom and uh, this guy. So here, they come with a dispute. Sometime later, two prostitutes came to the king to have an argument settled. Please, my lord, one of them began. This woman and I live in the same house. I gave birth to a baby while she was with me in the house. Three days later, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There were only two of us in the house. But her baby died during the night when she rolled over on it. Then she got up in the night and took my son from beside me while I was asleep. She laid her dead child in my arms and took mine to sleep beside her. And in the morning when I tried to nurse my son, he was dead. But when I looked more closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't my son at all. Then the other woman interrupted. It certainly was your son and the living child is mine. No, the first woman said, the living child is mine and the dead one is yours. And so they argued back and forth before the king. This is his very first case after receiving this great gift from God. Then the king said, let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the living child is yours and each says that the dead one belongs to the other. All right, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king. 
Then he said, cut the living child in two and give half to one woman and half to the other. Then the woman who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out, Oh no, my Lord. Do not kill. Uh, I'm sorry, I lost it. Give her the child. Please do not kill him. But the other woman said, All right, he would be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between us. Then the king said, Do not kill the child, but give him to the woman who wants him to live for she is his mother. Then all, when all Israel heard the king's decision, when all Israel heard the king's decision, when all Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. What an amazing story. A story of his very first case after saying, I want wisdom, and God gives him this amazing wisdom, and then he exercises it to define between the two. The heart of each woman gets exposed by his judgment. His wisdom went to the heart of the matter and to the heart of the women and exposed the true heart of the mother versus the one that was not. And then all Israel saw that. And they were in awe because of the wisdom of God. Do you know how you know if somebody's wise? It's their decisions. It's decisions. Decisions reveal our wisdom. When we are making decisions in our life, wisdom is being revealed. In the story that we're going to cover, there's going to be three ladies that we're going to take a look at, one right after the other, right around the Christmas story that made some incredibly wise decisions. And they exercised three different forms of wisdom, three wisdoms where they found God's plan that would take them into the greatest thing that ever happened on this planet, which was Jesus coming. We're going to start with the very first wisdom. And the wisdom, the first wisdom is to trust God's plan. This wisdom is found in the story of a lady by the name of Elizabeth. Let me just read the scriptures you have there. My story begins with a Jewish priest, Zacharias, who lived when Herod was king of Judea. Zacharias was a member of the Abijah division of the temple service corps. His wife, Elizabeth, was like himself, a member of the priest tribe of the Jews, a descendant of Aaron. Zacharias and Elizabeth were godly folk careful to obey all of God's laws in spirit as well as in letter. But they had no children, for Elizabeth was barren, and now they were both very old. This is a real interesting portion because it illustrates that this couple had this really good heart uh, relationship with God. They had go with God. They had good hearts. They had really good actions. They had the whole package. And but they had this one huge dream gap, a huge dream gap. There were no children. They had great hearts of love that they would have loved to have lavished upon their children, but they had none. And interesting how this story goes because Zacharias is now going to serve his term. They used to rotate. And he's going to serve as his term and walk into the temple to check on incense and get things lit and things, make sure everything's running there as it should be. And it's his turn to do that. And he goes in alone because that's what they would do. And he goes in alone to do that. And an angel appears to him. And the angel is Gabriel, the same one that's going to appear to Mary. And angel Gabriel says to him, Zachariah, Zachariah, I say this, look at Luke 1.13. And the angel said, don't be afraid, Zacharias, for I've come to tell you that God has heard your prayer and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to name him John. They're in their middle age, well into middle age. In fact, it makes it pretty plain in the stories. They call it old. Actually, it's kind of interesting. It calls him old and more uh, a polite term for her. But... They were old, past the childbearing years. When it would be a natural product for them to have a child, those days are gone. Again, one of these stories. 
And this angel appears and says, you are going to give birth. And your prayers, in another version, says your intense prayers. Or the prayers where it says you just, your persistent prayers, you just keep on praying. They hadn't given up. They just kept on praying. The natural world said it's impossible. They kept praying. Something in their hearts wouldn't let go of that dream. There's going to be many things in your life. Many things in your life that if you don't make the right decision when things happen, you're going to lose your heart to the wrong things. And that's going to affect how God can bless you and bless through you. When you lose your heart to the wrong things, then God is limited in what he can do because he's waiting for you to get your life clean. You know, God wants to be able to be seen in your life. There has to be that presence and that glow that can be seen. And so often what we do is we get this, this kind of cover going around. It's kind of like Gideon's story where they had to break the picture for the light to be seen. And sometimes we have to be broken, but his light has to be seen. You have to have a clean life. You've got to make sure that your heart is not filled with all of the wrong things. In Luke 120, we are still with this story. The scriptures give an extensive amount of time to it. And it says, and now because you haven't believed me, you are to be stricken silent. Because Zechariah, even though an angel is there delivering it, he questions the angel. How will I know that this is really? Gabriel is standing there. The angel is speaking to him. And now because you haven't believed me, you are to be stricken silent unable to speak until the child is born. For my words, listen to this part, for my words will certainly come true at the proper time. He had earlier said, I stand in God's presence, Gabriel. And here I am, I've delivered this to you. And you're questioning, you know, how you can know. I don't know about you, but if an angel delivered, I think that might be just about enough. So I shocked this guy so much that the things that they've been praying for, God was now saying, these will happen. He's saying the time has arrived. The plan is unfolding. So much of our lives are given over to trying to make plans work rather than waiting on God for the plans to unfold. And sometimes we just cross too many lines on that and we take control of all of the wrong things to make things line up. And we do everything that we can to be in control of the outcome of that plan rather than the, just the relaxation and the belief that God is a God of his word. For my words will certainly come true at the proper time. I don't know what you're waiting on God for. There's going to be some things in your life you're waiting on God for. It might be financial things. It might be health things. It could be obviously in relational things. You're waiting for God to kind of put things in place, but yet you're not waiting for God. You're getting anxious about this. You're getting kind of filled with the wrong kind of stuff. And you're, you've got this pain of this gap in your life. You want to be a father, a mother. You want to be a husband, a wife. You want to have that business. You want these roles and you've got nothing but pain because the doors seem blocked. You have to be very cautious at that moment. The challenge, the challenge is to not turn your pain into bitterness. That's when you know you're on wisdom's trail. Wisdom will never turn the pains of your life into bitterness. Here this lady is filled with this huge gap. And in that day, it was even more than this day, that if you weren't bearing children, like, that was really bad news. There was a lot of shame that was just gushed upon people like that. I mean, they just poured it on to people that couldn't have the normal, normal thing like bearing a child, which was everything in that culture. It was everything was wrapped up in that. That pain in her life, she never turned it into bitterness in Luke 1, 24 and 25, it says, Soon afterward, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed, to take away my disgrace of having no children. We've already read this was a godly couple. 
They didn't let it be a hiccup in their journey even. They were still serving God full on. They were still believing him for the gap that was there, but they were still involved in serving God. They had the wisdom to just trust God's plan. There's going to be many times God's plan absolutely makes no sense to you. When God says, hey, I want you to move here, or God says, I want you to change this, or God says, I want you to do this, or when God is saying, no, we're not going to do that right now. No, this is not what's going to happen at this time. That's when most of our stuff kicks in, not for the good. But what needs to kick in is trusting God's plan. And you'll always figure it out whether you are trusting God's plan or not by the bitterness in your life. Right now, if you want to know where you're having trouble with trusting God's plan, check the bitter meter in areas of your life. Bitter over finances. Bitter in relationships. Bitter about health. Bitter about loss. Where you find bitterness, you will find wisdom is not doing its work and you need to choose wisdom. And the wisdom that she chose was simply to trust God's plan. And in doing that, he made her part of the most amazing story, the birth of Jesus Christ. She became the mother of John the Baptist, who Jesus said, is the greatest human being ever born. They were cousins, Jesus and John. Six months apart. Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist. The one that came, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. This was a great blessing. And she would have missed out on that blessing if bitterness had invaded her pain and had gotten through her shame to plant itself. Because in that culture, she heard the whispers and the outright things said about her when she experienced the marginalization, when nobody else, you know, all of them were talking their kids and she couldn't talk her kids. And when all of the culture didn't seem to have a fit for her, when it didn't seem to work for her, the family culture, the village culture, when she didn't feel that she fit anywhere in here. She knew she fit with God, and that was the most important thing. Where there's bitterness, there is not wisdom. Wisdom that she chose was God's got a plan, and I'm trusting that plan. The second wisdom that we want to look at is the wisdom to surrender my plans. To surrender my plans. There's another woman that's the most obvious one in all of the Christian story of the birth of Jesus, and that is Mary. And we read in Luke 1, 26 through 29, the following month God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. By the way, Nazareth was sort of like a, not much of a town, and it didn't have a great reputation. To a virgin, Mary, engaged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Congratulations, favored lady. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Confused and disturbed. Others say, with fear. All of these things hit her. Can you imagine a visitation like that? And every plan you've made, every dream you've had, is, is already on track. You are on track for it. You have been engaged. You have a business future. You are going to start your family. You're going to take your place in the village, in the community. You are moving into the dreams that you've always had. And all of a sudden, God interrupts those with an angelic visit. And he states to her something that she know changes the complete math of every dream she is right now on track for. You see, her becoming pregnant 
unmarried with a story that God's the baby is not going to wash well. And she knows that everything that she hopes to do in life and establish in her life and is underway in doing is now at risk. She's confused. I don't get it. Have you ever been that when you've had such shifts in life where change come? When change can hit you and it's like, I don't know why this is happening. Why now? It doesn't fit. Why would this happen? With Elizabeth, she was excited because it was what she had always hoped for. For Mary, it's, I've got what I'd hoped for. And now look, it's all at risk. Have you ever been in the place where you've really spoken to yourself, almost maybe audibly, where you said, why is this happening right now? Why is this apple cart being turned upside down? So confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. There's a great sentence before that. Gabriel appeared to her and said, congratulations, favored lady, or you are blessed, Sometimes blessings don't even feel like blessings. And sometimes there's huge costs to blessings. Luke 129, again, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. What does this mean? What, is, what are you talking about? I, I, I've never been with a man. I'm engaged to be, I, I'm a virgin. And the angel tells her, no, what's going to happen is God's going to plant his seed in your womb. Luke 137, for every promise from God shall surely come true. That's what he told her. It's going to come true. And she's saying, it's going to come true. In Luke 138, Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. And I'm willing to do whatever he wants. May everything you said come true. And then the angel disappeared. Now this is, this is amazing that in this one encounter, she's moving from security of dream, security of path, into an amazing shift where everything has now become tentative and insecure. And yet we discover her core and why God blessed her with this when she states very simply, I am the Lord's servant. The first thing in her life that was obvious was, I'm the Lord's servant. My dreams are all subject to being the Lord's servant. I'm confused. I don't understand the whole deal. I know there's a huge cost going to be paid. I don't know. I got more questions than answers. I have no idea how this is all going to work out. But I will tell you that I am first his servant. And I'm willing to do whatever he wants. May everything you said come true. And then the angel disappeared. I don't know. I would have wanted to hold on to him. Would you hang around and just talk to Joseph about this? And can we have a little village meeting? And you can kind of do some angel things. And then we'll work it out from there after you've done that and proven that this is actually a God thing going on here. He just disappeared. In Luke 1.45, we have this in neat exchange. What happens is she leaves town and she goes to her cousin Elizabeth. She goes there and she goes to stay there for three months. And Elizabeth, when Mary comes, their baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb. And then Elizabeth makes this declaration. You believed, Mary. Mary, you believed that God would do what he said. And that is why he has given you this wonderful blessing. Is because you simply believed he'd do what he said. Simple belief. Here's the challenge in this wisdom. Is to trust God's character instead of your fears. You see, God's character is behind his promise. And his promise is only as good as his character. And God is saying, I will do this. 
And if this is God's plan for your life, if this is God working out the way that he wants to carry out his purpose in your life, then you're going to at some place in there surrender your plans. Surrendering our plans is one of the hardest things to do. You find it hard to surrender your plans to your wife or husband about where you want to go for dinner. Talk about anything else. Can you imagine on something this big, surrendering your plans? We don't want to surrender our business plans. We don't want to surrender our hobby plans or our time and energy expenditure plans. We don't want to surrender our financial plans. Yet, he's asking her in one exchange to surrender everything about her life. And that's the test of wisdom. Will she trust his character? She did. Or will she listen to the fears? Fears are very vocal, but they can be friends because they can be very much friends of our self-centeredness and not our servanthood. Fears are about reinforcement of what you want. Servanthood is about not what you want. Surrendering your plans to him. What plans have you surrendered to him in this last year? What plans have you surrendered to him maybe just even in the last month or the last week? Surrendering plans. But I got plans. I got plans. That kind of wisdom to know that this is crazy not to surrender. This is God. He's good for it. His character is behind it. The third wisdom is the wisdom to focus on God's presence. Now this one is one I, I want this to bite deep in you. Luke 2, 22 to 23 is after Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. And after when he's just days old, they bring him to Jerusalem to be circumcised and to be dedicated which is the way that it was to be done. So they bring him to the temple. And uh, it, I'm going to read to you uh, that first part, Luke 2, 22 to 23. When the time came for Mary's purification, offering at the temple as required by the laws of Moses after the birth of a child, his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. For in these laws, God had said, if a woman's first child is a boy, he shall be dedicated to the Lord. He's going to be about eight days old. He's brought to the temple. At the temple, he is presented or dedicated to the Lord. And we're introduced to a couple of old people. The first guy, I'll just tell you his story, is Simeon. Simeon was a man that was very, very aged. And Simeon uh, was a guy that had he, had, he had got a promise from God that the Lord had said to him, Simeon, I'm not going to let you die until you get to see the face of the Messiah. Well, Simeon that day, spurred by the Spirit of the Lord, recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. And he's the first one outside of Mary and Joseph to proclaim publicly and say, this is the Messiah. The presence of God has come. He is amongst us. Emmanuel, God with us. And so on that particular momentous occasion, he is blessing the child and dedicating this child. And uh, then there's another lady. She's 84 years old, which is really aged for that time in human history. And let me read you that part in 2.36 to 38. Anna, a prophetess, was also there in the temple that day. She was the daughter of Thunwell of the Jewish tribe of Asher and was very old. For she had been a widow for 84 years following seven years of marriage. Get in the picture? 
She never left the temple, but stayed there night and day, worshiping God by praying and often fasting. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. And she also began thanking God and telling everyone in Jerusalem who had been awaiting the coming of the Savior that the Messiah had finally arrived. 84 years old. She's in the temple. The baby has arrived. And the baby has come. Simeon recognizes. She comes along as Simeon is blessing and dedicating. And she hears this and she also jumps in on this and thanks God. But this is a woman, this is a woman that after seven years of marriage became a widow. She had lost the love of her life. Again, huge change. You know, you can look at the losses of your life. People, business ventures, health. You can look at the losses of your life. And loss is a big part of our life. And how we respond to loss, either wisely or unwisely, sets up the rest of your journey. So what we find in her case is, she devotes herself to the temple. If you were there in that day and you were a visitor to the temple, there's two people you would expect to see every day that you were there. And that would be Simeon and Anna. And so when Anna at the end starts proclaiming, this is the Lord, the Messiah, they all know her. They've all heard of her. They have seen her. She has ministered already in the temple since she was a young widow. She has gone to the temple. Do you know how many people she would have counseled, prayed for, helped? She was the helper. She was there as a prophetess to share God's word with people. She was right in the heart of the temple ministry for decades. They all knew her. She was devoted What an amazing choice she made in loss. These choices are what set you apart from the crowd because most of the time these choices are not made. The wisdom of God directed these three people so that they could be a part of the great picture of his work and his plan, and that they could surrender their plans, and now just to focus on God's presence and letting him work in and through their life. Here's the challenge. If you're going to focus on God's presence, the wisdom to focus on God's presence, the challenge is to redirect blocked lives. Your life's going to get blocked from time to time because your plans have a life expectancy. There's going to be an end to some of the plans that you've even made more recently. Every plan that you're going to make is somewhere, somehow, probably going to experience a block. When you hit that block, you have to learn how to go through or around or redirect. If you're like, for instance, Elizabeth, and you can't bear children, well, redirect that love. Just like this lady did. She redirected blocked loves. You, uh, the, minute, the, the military term would be redeploy. So she did. Her redeployment was, I'm I just going to serve at the temple. Maybe she was helped by people through that time at the temple and she wanted to do nothing else except help people and, and share God's good word with people and bring encouragement to people. So every day she'd be at the temple. And she'd be ministering for the rest of her life. And out of that great ministry comes the experience of celebrating the arrival of the Messiah. And then speaking it to all the people, the good news of Jesus. Redirecting block loves is really difficult. It cannot just even be Relationships. There are things that, you know, God says, hey, I want you to move to Grand Prairie. Some of you went through this. And you say, uh, I don't want to move to Grand Prairie. Uh, I love it where I am. Where do you love where you're at? 
And God says, I want to move you. I want to move your business to the next level. I want to take you down this road a little bit further. And uh, I'm loving it right now. It's really comfortable. I want to deepen your marriage relationship. Uh, I'm comfortable. The fact is, is that you're going to get blocked and we don't like to get blocked. When God is trying to move us somewhere, we, we don't like to redirect when we're blocked and yet we will settle with the block often and then our lives lose the sense of God's presence and the dynamic of faith in Him connecting in you with vision so that you've got dreams, you're constantly being re-energized and expanded and you're moving forward in your life. Not looking to find the place where you can just be comfortable. You're looking to find the place where love can continue to go forward. Love for God. Love for others. Love for serving. Love for whatever God has put in your life. We don't like to redeploy. Where's God been trying to redeploy you? You know, right now, um, I think a lot of times... It's just a sense of we, we just want to be in charge of the whole thing. And if you're going to be in charge, I want to tell you that you can't focus on God's presence. Hi, God, I'm in charge. I'm going to make every decision about my life that, that matters. You can have the ones that don't matter. But the ones that matter to me, I'm in charge of, God. But I really want your presence. Doesn't work. Doesn't happen. These are not easy things. Wisdom exacts a cost and causes you to have to often take risks. Wisdom and faith work together. When faith works outside wisdom, it doesn't work great. When wisdom works outside faith, don't call it God's wisdom. Because aspects of God's wisdom will always leave room for your faith to be energized and it must be used. That's why you can move beyond losses. That's why you can move beyond things that confuse you and you don't know why that, that just doesn't seem to fit. But please see the marker about God's presence. Have the wisdom, like Anna did, to focus on God's presence. You want his presence. What is life as a believer without God's presence? His presence comes because we make the right choices wisely around these types of things in life where we have the losses, we have the fears, the uncertainties, the insecurities. And where we have blocked loves. Redeploy. Redirect. Trust his character. Instead of fears which shout. And don't turn pain into bitterness. I've seen people fail that one more than almost all. Bitterness is not pain. And pain doesn't need to be bitterness. Bitterness is a spiritual condition. It's a condition where you have given your heart over to things that are all opposite God. A bitter heart is a heart that cannot experience the wisdom of God. So this morning, as we start down the Christmas journey over the next weekends, this would be an amazing moment for you to just kind of do a little bit of search and say, if I was given a carte blanche, what do I want? And just fill in the blank. What would be on that blank? 
I know before this morning's talk, it may be saying something like, change him, change her. It might have been something like, rescue us from this. Solomon looked at life, and already he was wise enough to know that the one fundamental that was behind every success in life was wisdom. And that there was only one source of this kind of wisdom. And it is God. To have that. Let me finish with a reflection on this story. In the Old Testament, a man by the name of Gideon lived in the times of judges. Israel was up and down. Sometimes they served God. Sometimes they didn't serve God. It kind of depended. And when they didn't serve God, they turned to idols. Well, God would let other nations come and dominate them, put them into slavery. Goes up and down. Comes Gideon's time. He's being chosen to be the next judge to deliver Israel. He's hiding out in a wine press. He's got purple feet, folks. He's hiding out in a wine press. What's he hiding from? The Midianites, they come down from the mountains and they always come just after the harvest is gathered in. They raid the entire land. They take everything and then they retreat. This is happening over and over every year, every year. And God tells Gideon, I've chosen you to be the next deliverer. So God calls him to be this deliverer and Gideon really has a struggle with that but he starts within his own home and says, I want you to go down, tear down your your village's uh, idols and your father's idols. I want you to go into that hill and tear them down, burn them, get rid of them, and establish an altar sacrifice to me. There are certain wisdoms that would say, don't be stupid. Don't be crazy. Don't upset the apple cart here. But he did. So he went out that night, at night, and he took out all of these idols burned them, established an altar, offered a sacrifice on the altar. And from that point on, God began to anoint him. For what? For what he called him to do. Same as these three ladies. There's a call upon his life. And Christian, you cannot be a Christian and not have a call. If you're a Christian and have your faith placed in Jesus Christ today, you have a call on your life. So he puts out the notice and he's excited about this to take out the Mennonites, even though that excitement is mainly being scared. And 32,000 guys show up from the tribes to fight with him. And God says, okay, but there's too many. So through a process, God whittles them down to 300 to make a long story short. And now God says, just the right number. I mean, over 100,000 Midianites are coming in. And now you got down to 300 and everybody else has gone home. And then God gives them this plan. He says, you're going to go and surround them at night in the hillsides around their campsites. And you're going to have pitchers like clay pitchers for hauling water or different things like that. And inside, you're going to have a torch. And then you're going to have your sword and you're going to be ready to go. And here's what I want you to do. When I yell or the trumpet sounds, break the clay pitcher and then the light's going to show all the way around these hillsides. God had already put dreams into the Midianites' minds. He gave them literal dreams at night about the sword of Gideon and that they were in for annihilation. God used fear on them. And so when the pitchers broke and light shone through, these guys all panicked. They ended up fighting each other. The panic was just pandemonium. It was a massacre of, of, their, own, of their own warriors. And then Gideon in 300 chased them away. Why that story? To finish off this one. God will break your clay pitcher sometimes. Whether it's through loss, whether it is the difficulty of just pain in your life that have come 
Things you're very confused about, they don't seem to fit. Loves that have been blocked. God will break the picture. But that's when what's inside will shine. And it will shine clearly. Those are the moments that the wisdom of God comes to bear to reveal to the glory of God what he has put in you. And it's your, you choosing the wise path that these three ladies chose that is going to see to the glory of God and to the victory over the things that are going to come your way in and throughout your life. So get the wisdom to trust God's plan. Get the wisdom to surrender your own and get the wisdom to focus on God's presence. And don't ever turn pain into bitterness, please. And don't, don't ever distrust God's character. Trust it instead of your fears. Never trust your fears. And redirect where your love and your life has been blocked. Don't stop love. Redirect it. Let's stand together. <clears throat> In the case of Mary, we have this, where God creates the pregnancy in Mary's womb. If you were to think of your life like that, a womb, a womb, that God wants to put his seeds in, and have them grow and be birthed into your life and your family. You're close to what God has, what God's plan is for your life. He wants to birth his things into your life. Not you just birthing all the natural things. He got some stuff just for you. And only you can bring that into the world. Only you. There is something in the call of God on your life that only you can achieve and that will set you apart because you birthed what God put in. Make your life a womb for him. Fathers, we bow our heads. We're so very grateful that you have a plan and purpose for our life. We're so very grateful that this first Christmas chronicle of these three women can so picture for us the opportunities we've got in the midst of real living, real difficult things in life. We can absolutely have them generate nothing but the best. Father, give us a kind of faith and wisdom that we see. I pray there be a hunger and, and, and even maybe in some hearts today a surrender that's taking part in their hearts of their own plans because they know it's been really my plans. Uh, a courageous faith, Lord, being attached to this. And I pray, Lord, where our lives may still have that earthen cover because pain has been turned into bitterness which is hiding the light. That you'll break that. So that the light of Jesus can shine into our lives and through our lives and, and, and into our families, oh God, and into our, our, our neighborhoods, our places of work, everywhere we rub shoulders. God, we can so rebuild the pottery around the light. And it's just earthen. I just ask, oh God, that you'll deliver people even now from that and that there will be this breaking and the light can shine again as, as, as pain is not turned in to that kind of bitter experience. Father, there's going to be some here that it's... <sighs> there's a lot of fear. It's hard to, to trust. God, may they trust your character the one behind the promise. May they really reflect upon Scripture is that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me. And Father, for those where 
loves have been blocked. I pray, oh Lord, that faith would kick in to redirect, to redeploy. That you will restore their hearts and their dreams and restore them in ways that fit with what you've called them to be and do. In Christ's name, I pray these things. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to receive his light into your life. That's Christmas. Jesus Christ came and humbled himself so that he could put a call on you to his eternal family. And you are called for it. You're not going to hit the perfect standard needed. That's why the cross, that's why he came to die. That's why he was born in flesh so he could bleed. And he bled. Paid the price. So if you've never received Jesus, right now in this quiet moment, just between you and him in quietness of heart, you might state something along this line, Father, I want this plan. I want to be saved from my sins. I want eternal life with you. I want this life to be filled with your light. So I receive Jesus as my Savior. I pray my life would be a womb for the things that you wish to birth into everything around me. I will say like Mary did, I am your servant. Forgive me for my sins. Fill me with the hope of your love and your plan. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.